Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Investors Unite podcast. A look at government overreach and secrecy and its impact on American taxpayers, public policy, and law. For years, the federal government has tried to hide its misuse of authority with regard to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. The Investors Unite podcast helps you untangle the facts. The latest installment begins now. Thanks for listening to another Investors Unite podcast. In this segment, we are privileged to hear some thoughts about what a future arrangement for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac might look like from Alex J. Pollock. Many listeners are familiar with Mr. Pollock's analysis of housing finance policy. He is a distinguished senior fellow at the R Street Institute in Washington, D.C. He was a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute from 2004 to 2015 and was president and chief executive officer of the Federal Home Loan Bank of Chicago from 1991 to 2004. Welcome, Alex. Um, Why don't we get started? I've I've got a series of questions for you, but um, recently you had laid out seven principles for housing finance reform in an analysis posted at the Urban Institute's Housing Finance Policy Center. Can you explain briefly what underlies the need for reform? I would be glad to, and let me say first thank you very much for having me on, and it's a pleasure uh, to be here. We have uh, underneath the uh, need for reform uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, who, uh, as we all know, uh, uh, contributed to and then were taken down by the housing bubble and its subsequent uh, bust, uh, had a large bailout from the government, and since 2008 uh, have been wards of the state effectively completely owned and completely controlled uh, by the U.S. government in the form of their conservator, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, or technically the director of the Federal Housing Finance Agency, uh, with, uh, of course, heavy involvement of the U.S. Treasury uh, which uh, owns $189 billion of their senior preferred stock and rights to 79.9% of of their common. Right as it stands now, it is basically the government in the mortgage business uh, because as the uh, development of the uh, relationship between the government and Fannie Mae went on, uh, the deal was changed, uh, as uh, as you, of course, know well and have written and spoken a lot about, so that the government takes all of the net profit or virtually all of the net profit into the Treasury's general fund. So what you really have is the Treasury operating a giant mortgage business for the government, uh, a business which controls half of all of the mortgage credit risk in the United States, that is to say $5 trillion in Fannie and Freddie 
uh, uh, out of a total market of roughly $10 trillion, a huge market and a huge position uh, being run basically as a government enterprise. Uh, I, uh, any of us who believe in markets as the superior form of resource allocation in creating wealth and economic well-being agree that that's a, uh, a bad situation and uh, we've all struggled in how to get out of it, and, and we're still struggling with how, how to take what is really uh, an intolerable and should be unsustainable situation uh, and, and somehow revamp it so there's a way out. One of the proposals you've made would convert Fannie and Freddie into systemically important financial institutions, or the acronym SIFIs at what you call the 10% moment. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yes. Well, first of all, uh, I, I don't propose converting them uh, into SIFIs since, in my judgment, they, they are. already are SIFIs. They <laughs> yes. are the most systemically important institutions uh, that exist. They are uh, what systemically important institution means they can put the whole financial system uh, at risk, and Fannie and Freddie have done and uh, and can do that. So they already are systemically important institutions. They just haven't been formally uh, designated uh, as such by uh, what we call FSOC or the Financial Stability Oversight Council. Uh, that's a purely political act on the part of the previous administration, which could be fixed. Well, when would I suggest, uh, actually, I, I would suggest making them formally SIFIs right away, but certainly no later than the 10% moment. What do I mean by the 10% moment? Uh, in the original bailout uh, transaction uh, by which the U.S. Treasury uh, acquired $189 billion of senior preferred stock, in Fannie and Freddie, the dividend on that preferred stock was set at 10% per year. Um, some people say it should have been higher. I, I think 10% is a reasonable number uh, for a, a preferred stock in that situation. Uh, in 2012, uh, uh, as you know very well, the uh, Treasury Department and the conservator, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, did a new deal converting the dividend to 100% or virtually 100% of all net profits going forward. And the, the question is, how do those two deals uh, compare? With, what, with everything that Fannie and Freddie have paid since 2013, in uh, just if you add up the dollars, it's greater than the original bailout investment of $189 billion. But of course, to pay off uh, any preferred stock, you don't just pay off the principal, you have to pay off the dividend first, and then the principal, just like in a mortgage, you have to pay the interest first, and then pay off the mortgage. You don't just get to pay the principal. So what I said is, let's go back in time and say, suppose, we hadn't done, or suppose we undo the uh, profit sweep or the 100% of profit dividend, go back 
uh, to January 1st, 2013 and say, let's suppose that Fannie and Freddie were just paying the 10% dividend and then we, we run the system forward and we can make some uh, uh, some guesses as to the future in a normal forecasting way. And what I call the 10% moment is the moment at which all of the cash payments made by Fannie and Freddie to the U.S. Treasury would have created a 10% internal rate of return to the Treasury, which means they would have paid all of the principal and the 10% dividend. I call that the 10% moment. They're, they haven't reached that moment yet. If you run those numbers, they haven't paid off all the principal plus all the dividends, uh, but obviously they've paid off some of it, uh, and uh, under current circumstances, you can imagine the moment coming within a couple of years uh, when you'd get to the 10% moment, and you, can, you could fairly say in a financially responsible way uh, they've paid all the 10% per year plus all the principal, and then you could, you could reasonably restructure a deal. And, and I can talk to you if you want about the, what I would make the restructuring be, but, but, but that's what I call the 10% moment. So explain um, what would happen if, as you say, they already should be designated as SIFIs, but if yes. <laughs> if that moment yeah. officially happened, what yeah. would that mean for their structure, their capital, yeah. uh, all of that going forward? Well, it, it's my uh, view that two things are important um, to think about. One is you, you might want, in a theoretical way, and a free market guy like me, I'd say, gee, I wish we never had Fannie and Freddie as government-promoted and government-sponsored and government-guaranteed uh, companies in the first place. But the fact is we've got them, and they're giant, $5 trillion in combination, as I said. And I don't think there's any uh, political realism in saying let's get rid of them. They're, you're going to have Fannie and Freddie. While you have them, in my view, it's also the case that they will always be too big to fail, as we say. That is to say, if they get themselves in serious trouble, as they did, or if they do again, which is certainly possible, we can expect a government bailout. And uh, in my judgment, it doesn't matter what any politician says or what any secretary of the Treasury says. The fact is, if they get in trouble, they'll, they'll get bailed out. So you, as I as I see it, you have to confront the reality that Fannie and Freddie are going to be there, that they are going to have uh, implicit but very real government support, and then figure out how you cope with that situation. Uh, and uh, my idea is to say, well, you have to treat them just like other giant organizations in the same situation. That is to say. Uh, other SIFIs, like, say, Citibank or J.P. Morgan or Bank of America or Wells Fargo, and apply whatever uh, rules you have for living with and having a competitive financial system uh, with those giant companies. You just uh, apply the same uh, rules to these fact, SIFIs, which we'll now recognize as SIFIs, just like these other giant banks are, uh, 
and, and go forward with a single regime that applies to all of them um, and have a competitive market, and uh, they'll either succeed or they won't. And let me just clarify this. And let's just call them SIFIs right now. And as SIFIs, they would be the largest financial institution probably in the world that has no capital. And I mean, under the I mean, when you just look at that, doesn't it just make sense to end the net worth sweep? <laughs> well, uh, if you got to the ten percent moment. Uh, in my view, that would be the end of the net worth sweep because you'd have paid off all of the Treasury obligation. Uh, and on a going forward basis, they'd have to operate with capital. They'd have to, they'd obviously be, are, and would be severely undercapitalized, i.e., zero capital uh, at the beginning, uh, but they would accumulate uh, profits and earnings subject to this regime with the same capital requirements, the same payments to the government for their credit support, the same rules on, uh, on uh, how they operate in securities markets as, as all the other giant SIFIs, and they would uh, at that point have to have to build capital. They could build capital, they could potentially uh, have new uh, issues uh, of securities. Uh, the Treasury um, might well by then have exercised its warrants uh, to acquire 79.9% of the common stock. Um, Treasury might, uh, well, we, we would see how they would come out on that uh, position, but they would um, they would be in the in the normal position of a giant regulated financial company which needed to achieve a minimum capital. Among the, the other recommendations you've made, you have said that we should move towards housing. One of the things we need to do is to move towards housing finance reform by enforcing guarantee fees. Yes. Can you explain uh, oh, I'm what I'm sorry, that enforcing or, or raising? Well, enforcing, raising, enforcing the notion of how they should adequately reflect the capital needs. Yes. Yeah, that's so correct. Explain what explain what you mean by that to to the listeners. The uh, the Congress of the United States uh, passed a law, the Temporary Payroll Tax Extension Act, a few years ago, uh, which provides uh, that Fannie and Freddie must set their guarantee fees in a way uh, that would create an adequate return on equity for a private financial institution uh, given its capital requirements and cost of capital. So uh, if you say, well, uh, in the SIFI world, the minimum capital requirement is 5%, so you got 5% of assets uh, as capital, and the average return on equity of banks these days is something in the neighborhood of 9%. So suppose you had to make 9% after tax on 5% capital, uh, and you have um, 10 or 12 basis points of expenses, and you're going to, on, on average over time, charge off four or five basis points a year in, uh, in bad loans, unless we have another crash. And uh, you can back into 
the uh, guarantee fee, or G fee, as we say, uh, that would have to be charged by Fannie and Freddie uh, in order to make them equivalent to a private financial institution, which is what the law says. Uh, and if that financial institution had to have 5% capital, which it does, and make 9% after-tax return on equity, which is a pretty fair number, then you can see what the G fee would have to be. And uh, that's easy, easy math. And, you, uh, and the answer is the G fee would have to be uh, significantly higher uh, than it is today, maybe 20 basis points higher, let's say, from uh, uh, from an all-in 60 to 80 or 90 basis points. And that, if you did that, then Fannie and Freddie's pricing for uh, carrying mortgage credit risk on a highly leveraged basis would be the same as... Uh, uh, private financial institutions would be, and you would, by definition, create a more competitive market in mortgage credit risk. It would probably help if they didn't uh, take 10 basis points like they did in that same act and, and, and pay for the <laughs> payroll tax holiday. Yes, uh, that's true. I agree with that. But they, they, direct they, do it, they the... just used Fannie and Freddie as tax collectors to, to offset yeah. the, budget, uh, the budget cost of passing on uh, uh, on part of the Social Security tax for a while. Yeah. And just so the listeners know, anyone that has a mortgage that currently originated, that 10 basis points on a $250,000 mortgage comes out to about $20, $22 a month um, that they're paying to pay for the payroll tax holiday of 2011. But I digress. Let's uh, <laughs> well, it's real. It's uh, it's not it's not an irrelevant digression. Yeah. Uh, of course, they don't. The, the borrower doesn't see that because it's all in right. the rate on the mortgage. All of this, Fannie and Freddie, and the cost of the guarantee fees and whatnot is is all uh, goes into the note rate or the or the rate on the mortgage loan. You, the borrower can't see that as a as a separate item. They feel it though. <laughs> uh, but they're paying. They're paying. That's right. That's true. You have a number of other ideas that you raise, such as um, the mortgage originators having more skin in the game, Ah, creating a new mortgage subsidiary within the federal home loan bank network, a a counter-cyclical loan-to-value regime. We don't have time to go into all of them, but (laughs) (laughs) these proposals just underscore the fact that there's no shortage of ideas when it comes to charting a new course for Fannie and Freddie and home finance policy. What do you think the chances are that these long overdue reforms will be adopted in the near future? I think they're politically very difficult, although desirable. Um, I just, I do want to just mention one thing about, uh, well, I'll, I'll say, you know, if you want to stay employed as a fellow in a think tank, you've got to keep coming up with ideas. That's that's part of the deal, right. but uh, on the uh, on having skin in the game on the part of the lenders, if I could just spend 30 seconds on that, it's uh, my view uh, that the ideal place for mortgage credit risk to reside, or at least the uh, the uh, the most subordinated part of mortgage credit risk, is with the institution that's making the loan in the first place, because they're going to know the most about the customer, the deal, the loan. No other subsequent investor has 
uh, can have the insight that they have into the loan. And when you do that, you get a perfect alignment of incentives to create good quality loans. And uh, when I was at the Home Loan Bank in Chicago, we actually invented a program that's 20 years ago. It's still going, uh, which works on that principle and the experience has been excellent. So the, the theory was proved out by reality. But to, but to put the credit risk in the first place with whoever is making the loan, that's the skin in the game, and I, I am convinced that's a, uh, that's a key idea. Well, terrific. Thank, thank you for thank you for mentioning my various uh, proposals. <laughs> well, my guest today has been uh, Alex Pollock, former president and CEO of the Federal Home Loan Bank, fellow at the American Institute. American Enterprise Institute, and currently Distinguished Senior Fellow at the R Street Institute in Washington, D.C. Alex, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to, uh, to talk with us today. Thank you so very much for having me on. All right. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.